This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer, chapter A Gay Old Time. Although, first of all, Bernard... Yes. I think we need to say what's going on. I think we probably do, yes. So it's the beginning of a new year, 2021, and uh, my brain is a little fried. Well, I mean, given everything that's going on in the world right now, this very second, uh, understandable. I mean, I think maybe it needs to be said, but Bernard and I, we're very anti-fascist. Yes, we are not fascists. (laughs) We don't like fascists. No. We'll just stand up and say it. We're against what they stand for. Do you know what? It takes a certain something to stand up and say, I'm not a fascist. Yes, we're also against murderers. Yes, that's true. And, um, what else? Genocide. Yes, not a fan. No, um, and, uh, just cruelty in general. Yes, I'd say that's about right. Yes, I mean, I didn't realise that was a political position, but there you go. So anyway... The thing is, though, it's all a bit overwhelming, so I think we're just going to take a little break, just a couple of weeks or something, um, for me to mix some interesting new cocktails, and then we'll get back to uh, Tragic Fans. Yes. But in the meantime, we're going to forge ahead with the book. We're going to take refuge. Lose yourself in a book. Yes, refuge in books. So we're going to do two chapters a week. One will be released on uh, Monday, and the other will be released on Thursday. Yes, that's right. Yes. So we're going to start with this one, a gay old time. And I don't know if I'm using gay in the old-fashioned way or if it's a double meaning and there's some gayness in here. I'm not entirely sure, but let's read the chapter and find out. We'll find out, won't we? Yes, here we go. Oh, my God! I scream, a horrible realisation blossoming in my brain like a hemorrhage, but somewhat less devastating. Bernard almost crashes the car. It swerves dramatically to the side and briefly mounts the curb, only just avoiding a traffic light. Dave clunks, snout first into the window, but the brave lad just sucks it up. No yelping, just a nasal ow transmitted direct to my brain. What is it? Bernard shouts in panicked tones. I try to control my breathing. (gasps) I've got to send off around 50 Halloween orders this week, and I've barely even bloody started on them. This is a nightmare. When am I going to get round to it? I think for a moment. Actually, I could probably get the bulk done this evening and finish them tomorrow morning. Panic over! Bernard doesn't speak to me for the rest of the journey. It's extremely tense. Finally, we pull up outside Gaynor's terraced house and get out. She's been directing us from the back. I remarked to her as we drove that she created one hell of a temperature drop. She told me such things are the preserve of spirits who have achieved a high degree of enlightenment in their lifetime, or conversely, were evil. I'd glanced uneasily at her chicken-clad form in the rearview mirror, seriously doubting she was the face of either divine enlightenment or pure evil. There's police tape across the front door. It's illegal to remove that. Chirrups Gaynor as I rip some of it away. I tell Bernard. Is it? He asks, looking pale. Oh dear. Maybe we should just give up and go home, I say, and Bernard looks at me suspiciously. Suspiciously! How do I know you won't sneak back without me? I can't believe it. Where's the trust? 
Where's the trust, Bernard? I say, because I often say what I think. Obviously. How are you supposed to say it if you don't think it first? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Do you really think I'd lie to you? Bernard looks sad. No. He says quietly. But you might keep things from me. My heart flutters. But I ignore it and give him a very direct look. Bernard, I say, this isn't healthy. We're going to have to sort this out. Trust is very important in a relationship. So are shared goals. He returns with a hint of sass. Like the goal of going into this bloody house. So let's do it. And with that, he manfully rips off the rest of the police tape. We've both broken the law now, I say, once he's finished. Then we're both very, very naughty. He husks. Oh, could you do that huskily? Then we're both very, very naughty. Bernard has, dare I say it, a mischievous twinkle in his eye, although that might be the street lamp reflecting off his glasses. I do hope you two aren't going to get saucy in my house. Trills Gaynor. I relay that to Bernard, and we all smirk and chuckle like sitcom characters. The spare keys under the gnome with the green hat. Gaynor continues. The one with the basket of mushrooms. I turn and examine the vast collection of gnomes on the patch of grass next to her front door, like an army of even more mini Rogers. There must be about 40 of them in an array of hats. I locate the correct one on the right-hand flank. Dave has also located it and is in the process of peeing on it. Can you see it? Asks Bernard, scanning the gnomes. Piece of piss, I wink, <laughs> gesturing to the now damp gnome. Bernard gives me an encouraging smile, but can't quite hide a grimace of distaste. Still, he tried, bless him. Use this, he says gently, proffering one of Dave's poo bags from his pocket. Thank you, darling, I reply, and use it to move the gnome and retrieve the key. I unlock the door and gingerly push it open. Bernard and I pause, an insistent pong emanating from the hallway and filling our nostrils. Dave rushes in, clearly unbothered by the fleshy decay that hangs in the air. In fact, he probably loves it. Dogs, eh? Party time, I say, and together we cross the threshold. There we go. Johnny, that was quite exciting. Very exciting. So yes. we're at Gaynor's house. So that's why it's called a gay old time. Oh, because we're at Gaynor's house. Because it's short for Gaynor. And it's not, and it's a sort of, uh, it's sarcastic, isn't it? Well, it is. It sounds like we're going to have a great time, but in fact, we're going into a no, a sort of corpsey smelling. Place. Yes, the, the house of a recently murdered person doesn't yes. sound like much fun, does it? No. Very. Although at least she's there with us, she normalising the whole situation. She's literally there with us in spirit, isn't yes. she? So is that enough for one, or should we do another? One? I think we should probably do another. That was rather short. That wasn't was it? rather short. All right. Next one is called Psyche. You know, I think the chapters are getting shorter because the longer you write something, the more impatient you get. So you want to get on with it? Yes. So in the end, I mean, by the end of the book, the chapters are probably like half a sentence long. Yes, it's interesting, this, isn't it? Because you're doing that sort of Tolkien-esque thing of jumping between different sets of characters in each chapter. But mm. the... the, the you, did Tolkien do that? Yes, he did it all the time. I only got up to Bombadil and then I threw the book out of the window. Well, it does actually get rather good after that. Yes. But, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tried and tested technique. But if you are somewhat impatient, I can imagine you might get shorter and shorter with each chapters. All right. Next one is called Psyche. Interesting. Interesting. I'm a huge admirer of your work. Eldris lied, clasping the professor's clammy hand. Oh, it's a new person. Who's the professor? I don't know, because there's a possibility that the professor is actually another character. 
Yes. As in a new character a new or one character. of the other characters, and we just don't realise it's one of the other characters. All right, so we've got Eldris talking to uh, the professor. I mean, I suppose I could do both. It's a pre- Oh, it's a professor of criminology, I think. Ah, so right. I think that is a new character. All right, so are you going to read the uh, the description and I'll do both characters? or? Yes, you or... will do the professor. <laughs> All but... right. How, how should we how Welsh. Should we... we haven't done Welsh. All right, I'll give him a go in Welsh. I'll start that chapter again. I'm a huge admirer of your work. Eldris lied, clasping the professor's clammy hand. Oh, really? How marvellous. I do love to meet my fans. Said the Welsh professor with a sneer, the tang of nasal congestion enveloping him like a phlegmy shroud. Oh, you need to sneer as well. Oh, all right, all right. The professor folded his arms and leaned against his office door, as if he didn't intend to ask them in. Which part of my work do you admire the most? Quite hard to sneer in a Welsh accent, isn't it? It is, it's, yes. Oh, I, I'd say, without a doubt, the uh, the early stuff. Eldris improvised, nodding seriously. The professor raised his thin grey eyebrows, red lips pursing. So you think I've gone off the boil since then? Uh, 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 not at all. <laughs> Eldris chuckled, stretching it out while he cast desperately around for something to say. I just have a fondness for, for your, uh, um, your, your early research. Oh, Why? Why? Well, I, I suppose it's because I, I can remember the visceral thrill of picking up your first published works. In 1974, you're a bit young for that, aren't you? Baby's first book, was it? Ooh, it's egg. Egg's, Egg's here now. Egg's is here as well. You can do egg. You yes, do, you I do, do. I do egg uh, with uh, a very particular sort of uh, accent. Yes, it sounds rather like Magenta's accent. Yes, yeah, that's true. Uncle, stop grilling him, Egg admonished, squeezing past the two men and into the professor's office. Uncle gave Eldris a lingering look before following his niece into the brightly lit room. Eldris slunk after them and sunk into one of the two leather chairs facing the professor's desk. He looked around briefly. It was the usual sterile, personality-free doctor's office, with a few notable exceptions. Behind the desk, ideally placed for the patient's gaze, was a Victorian freak show poster, a mounted pair of dueling pistols, and on top of a display pedestal, a lady's glove in a glass case, the owner's hand still inside. Eldris assumed it was a wax hand, although it looked a little shriveled. My niece has kept me up to date with the case, said the professor, lowering himself into the chair behind his desk. Very interesting. <clears throat> I'm not sure what happened to my accent there, but uh, we'll go with it. I quite liked it. We've profiled the killer. Eldris began, but was swiftly cut off. I'm not interested in your profile. It will be embarrassingly naive, like a child's drawing of its mummy, executed in its own feces. Uncle, Egg began, clearly intending to direct the conversation. She didn't get very far either. Clarabelle, don't interrupt me. I didn't. Clarabelle, you're doing it again. But I'm, I'm not... Allow me to speak, dear. With all due respect, Professor, we have professional profilers on the case. Eldris began tightly and then ground to a halt as the Professor jumped up from his chair and began to tug his jumper over his head. Hot in here, isn't it? He said from under the brown wool from whence his grey head emerged a couple of seconds later. We don't have... Mm, Hush! 
And with that, the professor proceeded to undo his braces, removing the clasps. I wonder where this is going. This is an interesting... T- this is a, a some character you've just invented. Yes. Uh, the professor proceeded to undo his braces, removing the clasps from where they attached to the waistband of his trousers and casting them aside with abandon. He didn't stop there. His questing fingers found the knot of his bow tie and after a brief struggle, it joined his braces on the floor. He began unbuttoning shirt buttons next, sprigs of grey chest hair peeking out as the fabric fell away. Thankfully, he didn't remove it altogether, but rather allowed it to flap open, revealing a rounded belly and a pigeon chest. Finally, the professor took off his belt, slapping it with a clatter onto his desk. Finished, he sat down, a picture of louche déshabillé. You were just enjoying yourself as you wrote this. <laughs> I mean, why is he taking all his clothes off? I don't know. Stream of consciousness writing, I think. Yes, and, and, a, and a wonderful lack of editing. <laughs> All right, I'll carry on. That's better. Silence. Well, did you come here just to stare at me? (laughs) He snapped, leaning back and putting his stockinged feet up onto the table. His socks had ducks on them. (laughs) Egton to Eldris. He does this on purpose, she said apologetically. It's so he can control the situation. He believes facades are more likely to crumble if he first undermines the social norms. It's a way of removing the mask of learned behaviour, a way of seeking a more honest response from people. Truthful communication, that's what it's all about, apparently. Well, it won't work if you go around telling everybody, will it, Clarabelle? The professor looked mildly put out, but then he might have always looked like that. His pissy face and the Earth's gravitational field had combined to create a constant sneer of peevishness. Egg crossed her arms and sunk into the chair, a picture of teenage exasperation. I'm sorry, but it's unnecessary, she spluttered. We're here for your opinions on the case, not so that you can psychoanalyze us. And you really have to do this every time I visit. It was something of a revelation to Eldris, seeing Egg rise to provocation. Something stirred within him, and he didn't think it was his inadequate gut bacteria. All right, all right, the professor grumbled. No fun allowed for the sad old dog. So what do you want? My thoughts, despite the fact that you have your own experts. He turned his gaze and smiled mirthlessly at Eldris. It wasn't even a smile, more a stretching of the lips in a horizontal line, like a sinister muppet. Surely you'd already know my thoughts if you studied my books properly. In fact, why don't we just ask Detective Hunky Buns here? He's read them all. Egg grimaced and shot Eldris a sympathetic look. Professor. Eldris began, fully expecting to be interrupted. He paused. Nothing. Anything you can tell us would be hugely appreciated. We're stumped. There. I'm being honest. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm saying to you straight, we're in deep shit. Forensics are at a dead end. The killer hasn't left anything behind, despite the extent to which he interferes with the corpse. He's never seen. There's no CCTV footage of him. Consequently, we're only days away from going public to ask for their help and vigilance. But when we do that, it'll get messy. The professor had listened impassively, as Eldris ticked off the ways in which they knew nothing. It was humiliating. They had so little after so long. So many police hours had been spent on this, and all that effort and expertise had yielded zip. As they waited for him to speak, the professor climbed to his feet and walked over to the strung skeleton that hung silently by the window. He stroked his index finger gently down the skull, and then looked back at the two of them. (laughs) This 
says, gesturing to the skeleton. Is Jimmy the Pigeon. He was a pigeon fancier who lived in Bow in the late part of the 19th century. Between 1878 and 1890, he murdered over 15 itinerant labourers, maybe many more. He'd invite them to tea in his rooms on the first night of their stay, and then he'd bludgeon them to death and dispose of their bodies in his allotment. He wasn't working alone. He collaborated with a man in Dover who would direct newly arrived immigrants of a specific type to Jimmy's humble hostelry with the promise of work and a new life in our great capital. The two men rarely met. Their communication relied almost solely on Jimmy's pigeons. It was via this communication device that he was eventually caught. The fool would flaunt what he was doing in the messages he sent. One of his pigeons was shot down mid-flight by a hunter. It wasn't long before Jimmy was captured. His accomplice in Dover escaped to France, but Jimmy was hanged from the neck until dead, and his corpse handed over to medical science. And now, over a hundred years later, he hangs in my office. It was an interesting tale. Well, sort of. It would have been more interesting if the skeleton wasn't clearly made of plastic, with products of China stamped on its sternum in black ink. What's your point? Egg asked wearily, blue eyes narrowed. That Johnny the Pigeon wasn't working alone. The professor intoned. I thought you said his name was Jimmy. Did I? Yep. Jimmy then. Jimmy wasn't working alone. You see, oftentimes, when it looks like one person is carrying out a great deal of hard work, and make no mistake, that's exactly what murder is, then one should consider whether it is even one person at all. The Arcati killer isn't working alone, Egg concluded. That's what Eldris had been thinking for a while. Having his suspicions reinforced didn't really help, unfortunately. It just meant that there were two villains instead of one that they knew sweet bugger all about. Anything else? Egg asked briskly. The professor drifted over to a bookshelf by his desk, from which he pulled a thick, leather-bound book. This, he said, his voice a sonorous, crackly bass. Is the book of the... What accent is he doing now? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, just make it sort of deeper and right. crackly w and Welsh, sonorous. deep, crackly. Sonorous and crackly is quite hard, isn't yeah, it? Yes, sonorous, crackly and Welsh. Is that Tom Jones? <laughs> sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is the book of the seventh night, a Nordic text from the 18th century, bound in human skin. It tells the tale of... That's a Collins English Dictionary, said Eldris, pointing at the book. I can see it written on the spine. The professor glared for a moment, then slotted the book back into the shelf. Fine, he snapped. I was about to regale you with a case involving witchcraft and ritualistic murder, a case which bears a striking resemblance to this one, a case that would shed light on the motives and movements of your killer, but maybe you don't want to hear it. Eldris looked to Egg for help. Uncle, Egg said softly, we have to be back at the office by two. Mainly because one of their colleagues was retiring today, which meant cake and speeches, and they didn't want to miss it. So we're on a tight schedule, but we really need your expertise in this very much. Maybe you could tell us what you think without the stories. The professor returned to his chair behind the desk. He was like a jack-in-the-box, constantly up and down. Eldris hoped he had as much energy, but more marbles and social graces, when he was his age. 
No time for stories, eh? Busy, busy bees, seeking the honey, buzzing around. The professor did a buzzy bee motion with his fingers. Okay, fine. Here's the short version. He's killing psychics and mediums and he's removing the brain. Thus, there is almost certainly a black magic element to the murders. Also, it's definitely a he. On a practical level, carving up another human being to, the ex- to that extent requires strength. Meh. So it might be an unusually large female. But, judging by the age and sex of the victims, the killer may well have a mother fixation. There haven't been any male victims, have there? Egg and Eldris shook their heads. Exactly. The killer is also white. All the victims were white, yes? Again, they nodded. White, then. The professor smiled thinly, triumph writ in the smug lines of his face. He raised his finger to indicate a final, devastatingly powerful insight. He is also, almost certainly, possessing of psychopathic personality traits. The professor relaxed into the chair, his work done. He spread his hands. Of course, you may already have come to some of those conclusions yourself. All of them, actually. Eldris muttered. What was that? Nothing. The professor sniffed and continued. I can't tell you anything else until you've caught him, and then you must let me examine him. And then I'll be able to really tell you a thing or two. Eldris stood up. Thank you so much for your time, professor. Helpful is not the word. The professor inclined his head modestly. My pleasure. He purred. You can buzz off now. Goodbye, Clarabelle. Well, that was an interesting <laughs> chapter, was a strange it? chapter. I wonder if that character will come back. I do enjoy or... him. So... You know, it's uh, it's vaguely coming back to me that I didn't want one of those dry, let me tell you a load of information sort of things. Right. You so... know how you often get, oh, actually, you often get the, uh, the what do you call people who do autopsies? Uh, like a coroner. Coroners and things, yes. Yes. So you, uh, you often have those chaps being a little bit eccentric, don't you? But yes. normally just very rude. Yes, normally they're the, just sort of very abrupt. Yes, not not a lot of time talking to people who are alive, I think, yes. is the implication. Yes, it? and also a sort of gaudy bow tie is the only indication of personality That's as right, well, yes, a sort in of in, inappropriate for the job. That's yes. often what goes with oh, that sort yes, of character, yes, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes, some gallows humour. Exactly. Yes, a bit cavalier about shoving livers into weighing contraptions yes, and stuff. Yes, yes. Scales, that's what I mean. Yes. Well, I just took that idea, I suppose, and I and I built upon it. You really ran with it with really this did. chap here, who really shouldn't probably be working. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's something about taking off your clothes in a professional setting, as we know from recent events. Yes, uh, that uh, is not really on, is it? It's not really the done thing. But that's the thing about fiction; it inspires. Debate, conversation, what's all right, what's not all right. And this will certainly inspire some debate. Yes. And and what more can we do except that? Exactly. I'd like to see the film of this, really. I, I really who would you have playing this this? Oh chapter? god knows. Oh, maybe one of the old guard. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is, is made for this part. I mean, he's already I, uh, he's already done a sort of um, informing someone how to catch a killer role. Absolutely. As we know, Silence of the Lambs. And, and I was even doing the Welsh accent, wasn't yes, I? Yes, you were. But also, he's quite mad on Twitter, isn't he? He's quite mad in real life, I think. Yes. Which, in a, in a marvellous way. We love Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yes, yes. So, yes, I think he'd be fabulous. <laughs> In fact, you could probably write a straight scene and he'd start doing this stuff anyway. Yes, he would, wouldn't he? Yes. I really think at this point the character would take all his clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anthony. All right, go on then. 
All right, well, uh, do listen to the next chapter of Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer out soon. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Were you accused of a murder enacted by supernatural forces beyond your control? Yeah. Are you seeking a multi-figure gold settlement for damages to your business? Yes. Are you a young entrepreneur seeking justice for the murder of a family member that would be here if you were better at your job? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Thomas Phelps. I am the attorney, along with my assistants, of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Belcher, and we want to help you get justice. Our expert legal services are available for a modest fee. But not too modest. I got a family to feed. As a bot, I don't eat, but I do have a hunger. A hunger for justice. And that hunger drives us to work for you, future client. From investigation to sentencing, we've got you covered for everything from public urination. Oh, yeah. To murder in varying degrees. Don't look at me. The attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher care about families. That's why they work quickly to help get this daddy off. I was blown away. My business was in trouble after an unfortunate case of property damage. But the attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher helped set things right with a hefty gold settlement. So come on down to the law offices of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher. Located in the old Biscayne Boys building in Eastern Orgea. Just follow the podcast highway signs for Dungeons and Drimbus and take the season three exit. The attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbio, and Felcher are not responsible nor liable for any of the following that may be incurred while working on your case. Sudden death, loss of limb, heartbreak, the use of magic to secure evidence, the wrath of an interdimensional being, urinary bladder infection, nausea, depression, the sudden desire to remove one's clothing, the illicit romance of a will-they-won't-they they workplace scenario, or a complete and utter disregard for the natural laws of space and time. Join your favorite fantasy attorneys for their next case. Dungeons and Drimbus publishes every Friday wherever podcasts are found.